everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. Everybody and welcome to episode 90 of the Lee Evie Korean Drama Podcast Show. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I am super, super excited about this particular episode. I think these, so this is the guest gabble. I have multiple guests on this week talking about a particular topic, uh, K-drama related, of course. Um, and these episodes are shaping up to be my favorites. I love just hearing different voices on this show and hearing different people's opinion and hearing how they relate to K-drama. Um, so I hope that all the listeners really, really enjoy this episode and enjoy hearing some fresh voices and hearing other people's opinions and not just mine. <laughs> Uh, I think this is a really cool episode, so I do hope you enjoy it. So I guess to explain, in case there is any new listeners, basically uh, a guest gabble episode of this show, as I've named it, which is just a silly name that I've made up, doesn't really mean anything, uh, just means I have some guests and we're all going to gabble about uh, the topic that I've randomly picked for today. So basically I invited um, anyone who wanted to, uh, from the people who are on my Patreon who support me there just to um, come onto the show or record a, a small segment of themselves talking about uh, their answer, their own personal answer to a question that I asked. So my question or our topic for this week is who is a favorite K-drama character? Of yours. So not, you know, the favorite, because I feel like that's really hard to do to just pick one above all the others. But, you know, just a character that's really touched your heart. Um, and I asked my, um, you know, lovely Patreon friends to also kind of explain, you know, why? Why is it that particular character that you love? Um, so it's very, very interesting, I think, listening to everyone's responses on this and also how different people have sort of, I don't know, related or engaged to this particular question. So I think that's heaps of fun. Also, um, one lovely listener, uh, Jerry, has sort of, um, she, I don't think uh, when she sent it through, she said she kind of missed that there was the topic. So she's talking more about her own K-drama journey, which, um, you know, we decided that we'd still play that as part of it, even though it's not quite on topic, only because, oh my gosh, K-drama journeys, like how you first got into K-drama is 
such a great topic to talk about. So I think I'm actually going to pick that as my guest gabble question for next time. So um, thanks, Jerry, for that idea. (laughs) Um, So I hope everyone enjoys uh, this episode. I think I'm just going to kind of throw myself straight into it. Um, I should just also say a huge thank you to uh, my Patreon supporters. So everybody who is on Patreon who supports this show, thank you so very much. And of course, this week, a particular thank you to those people who took the time to come up with responses to my question of their favorite character um, and, you know, record themselves talking about this and send it into me for this show. I really, really appreciate it. And it's so lovely to get that kind of, I think, K-drama community involvement. It's very, very fun for me. Um, All right, let's get on with it. So next up, you're going to hear from a bunch of wonderful, incredible K-drama lovers and they're talking about their favorite K-drama character or sorry one of their favorite K-drama characters all right let's get on with the K-drama show Hello, I'm Vicky and I am super excited to be contributing to this Guest Gabble episode on the Lee Evie Korean Drama Podcast. Thank you, Lee Evie, for creating such a wonderful podcast and community. I still consider myself a newbie to K-drama, only really getting into it about a year ago. But it is all I watch now and I feel that if I'm going to sit down and watch something and use my precious time, I want it to be a K-drama. So my favorite character, Hmm. this is hard for me as I'm generally drawn to the supporting character storylines the most, or I'm really captivated by character dynamics or interactions. So isolating a character as a single element has been a bit of a challenge. And after deliberating, I have settled on Prince Dawon Yi Rim from the K-drama rookie historian Gu Hai Rung. I, I watched this um, drama off the back of a pretty intense K-drama and I think from memory I had just watched My Country, A New Age, which is amazing and epic and emotional and um, intense and it required a lot of concentration from me. So after that I was in need of a nice, mild, beautiful drama and Rookie Historian delivered that for me. It is set in the Joseon dynasty. Their costumes were beautiful and flowy and light and airy. The colors of the world they created was really warm and really sunny. And Yi Rim was a delight to watch. He is a 20-year-old prince who has to hide away from the world and lives in his own little building away from the court. Um, He's sheltered, he's idealistic, he is intrigued about the world around him that he hasn't seen and has this romanticized and idealistic views on what the world out there would look like and you see him walking around at times with the most innocent and naive and happy face and he's basically just this beautiful damsel in distress prince (laughs) Um, But he does keep busy, though, because he is a secret novelist. He writes romance novels under a a pen name, and his books are extremely popular amongst the ladies of the community. And I won't go into details of the plot of this drama and try to only focus on Yi Rim and how I feel about his character. 
So um, I love that he has a childlike curiosity and an innocence about him. I enjoyed that when he met Gu Hairang, that he felt challenged and defensive um, because she just didn't aim to please to please him or say what he wanted to hear. Um, and this opened up, um, as this opened up his character to learn about um, what actual real life interactions would be like that aren't from his servants who are just um, aiming to keep him happy. Um, but as the story develops, Yi Rim has the chance to see the world for what it is. He has a chance to choose what is right for him. And he develops this ability to confront those who have more power over him. Um, and he confronts them because to him, it's the right thing to do. Uh, he is driven by what feels right for him. So that's pretty much, I think, sums him up. Um, he's driven by passion and he believes in fairness, um, which I love. And a couple of standout moments for me were when Gu Rung takes him to a beach for the first time and he touches sand and he is, was literally like a child. He was present, he was immersed and in awe of the world. And I just love that. Another standout was when he and Gu Rung were at a village where smallpox had broken out and he felt this um, immense sense of responsibility to help um, and he went he tested out a vaccine on himself and you could tell he was nervous and a little hesitant when it came to the time for him to get his um his like vaccine um but he also was more uh driven by this conviction that this is what he needed to do um and then another standout was the heartbreak he felt when he was forbidden to write anymore that was really moving he was like sobbed and he was very outwardly emotional and you could feel his heartbreak and how devastating it was for him and and how unfair it was because um, writing was his only thing where he felt freedom or control um, expression and in purposefulness too and so it was almost like the last like the last straw and they took that last little bit of his free will away from him I think this character really appealed to me because <clears throat> I could relate to him. I know I'm pretty sheltered too. Um, I have ideas about how the world should be, um, that it should be fair. I'm immersed in like the world around me. I love um, just being in awe of nature and how things work. Um, and I'm also driven by my inner conviction and what feels right. Uh, but I don't, but I don't look as good in pale pink floaty clothes as Re his <laughs> year rim. So um, anyway, so as a character, when I think back on my experience of watching the drama and think about the character, I feel a fondness and I feel happy. And I think that's why I chose him over other characters. Um, even when the little thumbnail on Netflix for that drama comes up, I always feel um, happy and and I like to say to whoever is in the room with me that that drama is in my top five. And um, just quickly, though, I wanted to mention a couple of other characters I was tossing up between in case they are your favorite. So uh, the Devil King and the Zombie Richie from the Korean Odyssey. I really, really love them. 
and Secretary Bong from What's Wrong with Secretary Kim, who is a side character, but he's just really, really hilarious. And um, But there are so many characters who are amazing and I can't wait to hear what other people have chosen in this podcast. Um, and that is it really from me. And I just want to say thanks again for the opportunity to contribute to this podcast. It's been fun and I can't wait to hear um, what others um, have contributed to. Hi everyone, this is Lee Evie again, just interjecting quickly in here with a little um, note to make you aware. So the next person that's going to be speaking as part of the guest gap is Liliana. Um, but I just wanted to give a little warning because there is a little bit of an audio issue at one very small section of Liliana's recording. So you'll hear like, I don't know, she kind of sounds like a robot at one point, which is sort of fun. <laughs> you can still understand what she's saying, um, but please note that when it happens, um, unfortunately, we couldn't fix it. Um, it only happens for about 10 seconds and then the recording does return to normal. So um, just before warned, there's a little issue there, but please keep listening through um, because it does go away really quickly. All right. Thank you. Bye. Hi, Evie and fellow podcast listeners. I hope everyone's keeping safe and everyone's doing well. So I couldn't really choose a favourite um, character. So what I did was I went on my drama list and saw what my highest rated shows were because I tend to rate highly on shows where the character growth and the characters themselves make me fall in love with the show overall. So I thought I'll decide um, which characters to talk about uh, from uh, my highest rated shows. So as soon as Lee Evie asked this question there was one character that popped into my head straight away and that was um Lim uh, sorry my pronunciation is probably going to be butchered but Lim Jo Gyeong from True Beauty so the character the main female lead that Moon Ga Young plays and the reason for that is when we first meet her, she's such at the lowest point of her life. And, you know, she's being bullied and she's, you know, contemplating suicide, which isn't a nice thing at all. It's horrible. But throughout the whole show, you see her grow into such a beautiful character. And you go on this journey of her, of her discovering how to love herself, basically. And how to grow into this self-reliant human, basically. And I really, really loved her journey and who she became. And once she did, you know, everyone did find out about her makeup and what she looked like beneath the makeup, she stood up for herself. And I think that was beautiful to see. I think her journey overall was just such a beautiful journey to watch on screen and that's what made that show true beauty so special so she's definitely one of my all-time favorite characters um and then I think another character that I really really enjoyed and you'll see a pattern 
in my character choices. It's mainly characters that take you on this journey of self-growth. That's the characters that mark me, I think. So my second character would probably... Also, I really hope this is okay that I'm, you, you know, doing more than one character, but I couldn't choose just one. <laughs> so my second choice, and these aren't by any specific order because I don't think I really could choose a top, top one. But um, just the second one that I could think of was uh, Park Seri. Um, so that would be uh, Park Se-jun's character in Itaewon class. I think for him, it's the fact that he has this very set of morals that he won't bend for anyone. And I really, really like that. He It does sometimes get in his way of his development, but he learns from it. And I like how accepting of a character he was as well um, through the choices of who he put in his bar and who you know, he made people around him grow as well, which was really, really beautiful to see. I think the fact that he made people trust themselves by just simply believing in them and staying by their side. He's such a nice character to watch. So I really, really liked him for those reasons. Um, I think then I would have to say from it's okay to not be okay although I really 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 loved um Komon Young's character in that if I had to choose one character so that would be Soya Ji's character from it's okay to not be okay but even so from that show from it's okay to not be okay Moon Sang Tae has to be such a marking character for all Jong Se his his performance in that show was just so I, I i don't even i don't even have the words to describe it from i think the way he was written the fact that in episode 1 you get to see a glimpse of his world and you're just seeing all these beautiful characters and how he sees the world and it's beautiful to watch i really 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 loved his journey of how he became an adult basically they let him go from this person who was so so sheltered to this person who accepted his fears and yes he is autistic but that doesn't get in the way of his development as a character and as a human being and I really really loved this portrayal of this character and the journey and growth and how they put it on screen it was such a beautiful journey so I really really loved it and I think my last choice would have to be it's from a C drama this one and it is um Lee Hai Chao and he is a character from the drama the C drama Go Ahead and he plays a father which he isn't even one of the main he is, but he isn't. So he's like one of the main fathers uh, to the female lead. Um, but his character is like the best supporting dad 
I have ever seen on my screen. He is basically, he runs a noodle shop and he basically communicates his love and shows his love to his kids and to his, you know, family and friends through food. So you often see people sitting at his restaurant having a bowl of noodles and it's like this comfort. And all I want to do whenever I'm watching this drama is go to his restaurant and sit with his family and have a bowl of noodles because his character is so loving and so caring and so understanding and just everything you would want a father to be and more. He's like the holy grail of fathers. If you haven't watched this drama, it's called Go Ahead. It is beautiful. And he is one of the main reasons to watch it because he is the best father I have ever seen portrayed in any drama I've ever watched, regardless of it being Korean or Japanese or Chinese. This father is just such a beautiful character. And he always supports his kids no matter what and he actually raises two kids that aren't biologically his which is such a taboo in Asia in general and he often gets called out for it and he says no they are my kids and he stands up for them and he supports them unconditionally so yeah he definitely definitely is one of my all-time favorite um characters so that would be it for me uh, I'm really sorry this is really rambly but uh, I hope you've enjoyed my choices and I hope everyone keeps safe and uh, thank you again Evie for letting us do this and also thank you so much for bringing uh, so many people to our little chat uh, over on discord it's been lovely uh, thank you bye Hello, Lee Evie and listeners to the podcast. Um, my name is Gata and I live somewhere in Southeast Asia and I'm going to talk about my, one of my very favorite characters and favorite series from Dramaland. And today I'm going to talk about uh, Doc Son, who's like the main female lead, we could say, from Reply 1988, which is a series that... Uh, came out like a couple of years ago and it was the third installment of the Reply series, although not exactly a sequel, but it was the last one. And it was a fantastic ensemble cast and an even better, you know, script with twists and turns, but also respecting the pace of slice of life, simple family life. Uh, Set in 1988, which was the year of the Seoul um, Olympic Summer Olympic Games, which um, the main reason I connected so much with this series and with Dakson is that I also was a teenager, probably a couple of years younger than she was during the Olympic Games in Seoul, and I even remember the song of the Olympics, hand in hand we stand. All across the land. Of course, they had the Korean version, but too. Where I'm from, I'm from originally from Chile, we got the English version. Anyway, back to Reply 1988. Tuxon is the... The reason I connect with her is 
I relate emotionally because as her, we, she's a middle child with an older sister and a younger brother. I had older brother and younger brother. Uh, we had the same hairdo, that kind of chopped bob and um, dressed the same, had the same things of uh, getting clothes from here and there to make ourselves more cool with the social status we have. We had, uh, so Jackson belongs to a middle-class family, uh, scraping here and there for money. And Korea in the 1980s was not the Korea you know now. Uh, they have tremendously advanced in this 30, 40 years. Um, my math is not good, it's not 40 years, sorry. And she was this teenager and she brought joy and she was uplifting any, everywhere she went. She was not the strongest student, but her social and emotional uh, cue, let's say, is very high. And she connected with every single person and she was always would have a smile. And also she had teenage worries, but she would always be the, that connector amongst people. She would be the one that they would gather around to watch TV or music or dance with or study with or include at. And uh, she would also get along with people from every single age group, with the little sister of Sangmu or with the father of Yungpal. And she would even play the part. And that uh, simplicity of uplifting, of happy-go-lucky and bringing joy to people, to me, is so priceless, priceless and, and it was very well portrayed by Harry uh, in this series. And um, I can picture her seeing Jungpal's uh, dad and reproducing that a humoristic, a humoristic uh, sketch, that a gig that she would perform with the dad. Although he was criticized constantly, the moment Dobson gets into the house to drop food, to say hello, to pick up a friend or something, he would greet her, hello, President Song, hello, and she would answer, hello, President Kim, and perform the gig. And that would leave the man super happy. And even though, even though she would, could be perceived by others as being ridiculous and making a fool of herself, she didn't care because her job was to bring joy. And that's why she got along with everybody. And I totally relate because I, I'm a, I freed myself from people, I'm very social, so I could connect with her. And um, she represented also the person who's looking for a dream and does not know really what to do with her life. Her life was her neighborhood, her friends, her family, not school. And uh, in Korea, you have you are taught since you were little to be oriented and find your path. And everybody else had a path different, differently from typical. Some some of them didn't didn't have the path of university, but others did. But she didn't know. She knew she didn't want university. She knew she was not going to be accepted into any because she was like number nine hundred and ninety nine in the ranking which um, of grades, so that was not okay. And so she tried jobs, she tried. Uh, she tried being a flight attendant, but they don't say it, or it's not very clear to me, but I have a feeling she felt fulfilled by having her own family later. 
um, and she did bring joy to her family and kept that sense of humor that made her golden. She was naive and maybe not the quickest, but definitely you could have a huge big moment with her and she was one of the band, one of the gang. And, and to me, I always look back to this series with a tender heart, I'm biased. I'm a 1980s girl. And if you haven't seen it, it's I think it's the strongest one of their installments. Um, it's beautiful. It's, again, I said, slice of life good, good cultural portrayal of Korea in the 80s. And I was introduced to the the sound of the goat as a cue to laugh and um, to some music from the 80s. And, and I kind of also relate with the big shoulder pads and the stonewashed jeans and the hair roller in the front to get the perfect, you know, bangs. And all in all, Duxon, I connect personally with her because it reminds me of my own youth, made me nostalgic. It was beautifully portrayed, very lovely, lovely character. Her fun moments, she had laughter, sad moments, first love, confusion, and then a path that was totally logical and okay to have considering the expectations. So, um, of course, I had other favorite characters like Gu Dong Mei from Mr. Sunshine, and um, I also had from Sky Castle, it was um, the, the wife of uh, Mr. Cha, uh, the one who evolves the most. Um, I think her name was, uh, I can't, I'm trying to open the photo, sorry. It was Na. Siodong, Siodong, I can, um, sorry, sorry for the gavin. No, Siodong here. Also, uh, also Kang Pilju from Moneyflower, amazing revenge story. So there are many, many, many characters, but I had to think of one. So here is uh, my very blah, blah, blah waffle of um, Song Dok Son from Reply 1988. I hope if you haven't watched it, please do. It's beautiful. Thank you, everybody, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you, Lee Evie, for this chance, and have a great weekend. Hello, Lee Evie and podcast listeners. My name is Lizzie, and I'm delighted to be a part of today's guest gabble. It makes me so happy, too, to be part of this K-drama community. I really enjoyed listening to the guest gabble last time and hearing all of your voices and hearing all about your favourite dramas. So thank you so much, everyone, and to Lee Evie for giving us this opportunity. So today's question is, what is a favourite character of mine and why do I love them? So honestly, the first character that I thought of when I was thinking about this was the character Sonogong, or the great sage equal to heaven, played by Yi Sung-gi from the K-drama A Korean Odyssey or Huayugi. A Korean Odyssey is one of my all-time favourite K-dramas and so it's hard to go past a character from that drama and it actually has a lot of great characters in it. I'll tell you a bit about the K-drama first just to set the scene. So it's a Hong Sisters fantasy drama. It's very loosely based on the Chinese classic 16th century novel Journey to the West which seems to be a really popular story that's been remade lots of times. I fondly and vividly remember watching the Japanese TV show called Monkey or Monkey Magic 
uh, when I was a kid. So it must have been made in the 70s. I'm giving away my age. <laughs> um, and it was actually um, also based on the same story and was aired in my country with this terrible English overdubbing. And um, it was a really low budget. When you look back on it now, it's pretty funny. But it was still a really great adventure and I, I loved it. So I have this real fondness, um, this soft spot in my heart for the story. And I noticed when I was looking at the previews for A Korean Odyssey on Netflix that it was based on uh, the same story or that was a monkey character in it. So I just had to watch it and it certainly didn't disappoint me. So the character of Sonogong, he's a bit complicated to explain, so bear with me because I think it's worth understanding the setup so that I can also explain what I love about this character. Sonogong is a spiritual being and he's been ousted from heaven. And when we first meet him, he's been imprisoned in this magical house on a mountain. He gets freed by our female lead when she's a child. Her character is called Jin Sunmi. And in order to get her to do what it takes to free him, he promises her, he makes a binding promise that he would do whatever she asks of him if she frees him and that he'll come whenever she calls his name. So she agrees to this and she does what's required to release him. I think she has to light a bunch of candles and he is released. But the minute that he's released, he uses his magical ability to extract the memory of his name from her mind so she can actually never call on him because the promise is real he, he does have to come when she calls him but he gets around it by making sure she doesn't know what to call him and how to call him so then the drama sort of moves on in time and we see Sonogong working really hard <laughs> to to restore his place in heaven and his god status so he's going around doing all these really good deeds not because he's a good person but purely for his own self-interest self and he's really desperate to get back into heaven because uh, he misses all the perks that come with it particularly the fact that he will be able to drink alcohol again um, not being able to drink alcohol is one of the punishments that was um, bestowed on him when he was ousted from heaven and he he regrets it greatly and collects all these bottles of really expensive spirits and keeps them in his cavern and hoards them he's been hoarding them for hundreds of years you know waiting for the time when he can he can actually be um, returned to heaven and finally drink all this alcohol um, so while he's trying to find out you know what's the fastest way to get back into heaven he finds out about the existence of this being called a sumjung so the best way to explain it, I guess, is that Samjung is a human whose role it is to save the world from great danger. So it gets bestowed upon a person. And once someone becomes a Samjung, they actually have this irresistible scent of a lotus flower, only to non-humans, to other humans they just smell normal, but to spiritual beings they smell really irresistible. Um, Sonogong realizes that if he eats the Samjung, he'll actually get great powers and fast track his return to heaven. So he's immediately on board for this idea. He's going to go out, find Samjung and eat it. Um, so he goes in search of Samjung and then actually discovers that Samjung is none other than, of course, our female lead, Jin Son Mi. Um, but he doesn't feel any guilt or any empathy that this is someone that he knows. He just decides that he is going to eat her. Um, so a little bit about Son Mi, just for context. Um, she's had a pretty difficult life. She actually has this ability to see spirits that she's had since she was a child. And she was raised by her grandmother, who she really loved dearly, but she's since passed away. So Son Mi is now alone in the world. Um, 
now that she's an adult, she's actually found some success. She started this real estate company and she uses her ability to see ghosts to, to actually help her. So she buys all these sort of haunted properties at bargain basement prices and then manages to negotiate the ghosts away and, and then resells at a, at a much greater profit. So she's quite successful. She's got this hilarious assistant who works with her who I absolutely love as well. He's a really cute, funny character. Um, so... She, but she's really sad. She's real, still really lonely and she doesn't have many friends. So she, when they meet again, when Sonagong and, and Son Mi again, Son Mi meet again, um, she remembers him, but she still doesn't obviously remember his name. He made sure that she couldn't do that. But she's still kind of hoping that he will actually fulfill his promise to her. Um, but, of course, she's pretty quickly disappointed when she finds out that he's actually going to eat her. Um, but he does first agree to let her fulfill her bucket list before he eats her. So she uses this to stall him for a bit, but then she has to find another way to make sure that she doesn't get eaten. So she eventually saves herself by asking for help from this other spiritual being, one of the other main characters in the show called Ma Wang, or also known as the Devil King Wu. And he's also trying to get back into heaven for his own purposes. And his whole story is really interesting and quite beautiful as well. Um, but Devil King Wu and Sonagong have this really complicated relationship. They really hate each other on the surface of things, but they actually have more in common than they realize. And so anyway, Sonmi goes to Devil King Wu and he helps her. And his help leads to the plot development that I totally loved in this drama, which is that Sonmi tricks Sonagong into putting on this bracelet called a Gumgungo to stop him from killing her. Um, so she doesn't actually know um, that the, the Gumgungo um, is also has this other side effect. So she has to activate it by kissing him. Um, and so she does. He puts it on. Uh, there's a whole complicated thing that happens to, that leads to that, which I won't go into. But um, she doesn't realize the other side effect is that he also falls instantly in love with her. <laughs> so Sorry, that was a really long setup. Um, but the reason that I... I absolutely love Sonagong is because of his arc, I guess. I, I find characters that have a, a really interesting arc um, and, you know, that transform through the course of a drama, probably the most interesting and beloved for me. So with Sonagong, you know, he starts as this totally arrogant, selfish being who has no time for humans beyond what he can get from them. Um, but during the course of the drama, he's transformed. Um, when he's trapped by the Gumgungo, he actually has to deal with this loss of control that he's never had to deal with before. He's really resentful at first. He's he's absolutely furious with Sonmi and desperately madly in love with her all at the same time. And he can't control his, his desire to be with her and around her. But there's some part of his mind that recognises that that's not real, that it's the Gumgungo that's doing that. But there's plenty of fodder for, for comedy there. Um but over the course of the drama, we actually get to see that he slowly falls in love with Sonmi for real. And at some point, he realises that he actually has fallen in love with her. He's no longer actually trapped by the Gumgungo. And the tenderness between them, the way that he looks at her, and there's also some really very satisfying kiss scenes, um, really made me swoon so hard. Um, one of the other things I also loved about this character was his game of one-upmanship with Devil King Wu. Um, it was really funny. It was so, so hilarious. Um, and so it was quite a good little bromance. And I think I liked the bromance almost as much as I liked the romance. Um, 
they have a, a really interesting backstory as in Sonogong and Devil King Wu. Um, and you get to learn about that during the course of the drama as well and understand why they're so competitive with each other. But then they're also ultimately there for one another, sometimes in really touching ways. Um, and it was such a satisfying friendship that they had, sort of love-hate relationship that they had. Um, and so that relationship is evolving at the same time as the romance. And so it's like as the drama goes on, Sonogong is just basically becoming more human. He's um, developing empathy. He's actually connecting to the people around him in a way that he never has before. Um, I really love the fantasy elements of the story as well. And so Sonogong has these very cool powers and he's always sweeping in and doing these amazing fight scenes and, you know, fighting off these spirits and evil beings. And um, so he's, you know, he's quite the sort of knight in shining armour. Um, but he's, you know, of course, incredibly flawed. So that's what makes him interesting. Um, he's not human, so he, you know, he hasn't been able to develop empathy for the human condition, the fact that we're mortal and, and having to live with that, you know, the importance of relationships with one another and connection. But he has to learn that during the, the drama and, and, you know, the, the sort of the pain of, of knowing that with that comes this incredible joy, you know, but then loss too. Um, so the ending of the drama is not really what I expected. She came as a bit of a shock, but um, I won't say more than that in case you want to watch it. But um, I have to say, I've never wanted a season two of a drama more than I did with the Korean Odyssey. I don't think it's going to happen now. It's four years later, but oh, a girl can hope. So all in all, I've realized that um, probably, you know, the characters that I love the most in K-dramas are the ones that are flawed, that have that interesting arc, that have to grow because they're challenged in some ways. And, of course, throw in, a, you know, fantasy elements and a swoony hero and, and I'm sold. Um, this role certainly made me a huge fan of Lee Sung-gi. Um, I thought he was brilliant in the role. And I've followed him around drama land a lot since the show finished. So I think I, <laughs> the minute I see him in a drama, I have instant affection for him in whatever he does. So I think that's just about it for me. I hope I haven't talked too long. Thanks again, Lee, Evie and podcast listeners for letting me tell you about one of my favourite K-drama characters. And I can't wait to hear all about yours. Hello, my name is Jerry Hertel, and I'm participating in the guest gavel with Lee Evie. Um, I came to K-dramas a little bit different than I think most people. I watched a show on Netflix called Sensate, and in that drama were two South Korean actors. One is uh, Duna Bay. She stars as Sun Bok. And uh, Su Ko San, who plays Detective Moon. And if you get a chance to go to season two, episode seven, about 25 minutes in, it is the best fight slash love scene I have ever seen. And so I started trying to find other things that they had done. And I think as most people know, the United States has been in a pretty bad state. And I wanted something where I could escape. 
and K-drama offered something, a place I had never seen, people I didn't know, stories I'd never heard, um, and I just kept finding that the people were just so beautiful, and the stories were so great, and I kept watching, but there was no one to talk to, because since it is uh, something that is in a place that nobody knows and in a language that nobody understands and characters that nobody recognizes, it's kind of hard to have a conversation. So I started looking online and I found Lee Evie's podcast and I fell in love. I, she was, she just nailed everything. She sounds very much like my sister-in-law. So it was really easy to listen to her talk. I love that uh, she has a swear warning. I think it's really cute because I don't really think she swears all that much. But um, I've just been devouring uh, K-dramas as fast as I can. And the one I just finished was uh, Faith with Lee Min Ho, which brings me to another part of my uh, how I came to K-drama. And that is Lee Min Ho because... He's Lee Min Ho. I saw uh, King, the Eternal Monarch. That was the first show I saw him in. And I couldn't believe how beautiful he was. Just everything was beautiful. His his face, his movements, his, his acting, his everything was beautiful. And so I've been on a Lee Min Ho trip finding everything I can that he's ever done. And it's not, I'm, I guess I'm getting pretty far into it. Uh, the one that I thought was the quirkiest was he falls in love with a mermaid who can't speak. And so she goes through almost the whole season, not speaking, just gazing at him. And I want that role. I could go for a whole season and just look at him because and and it's not just him anymore there're so many beautiful actors and actresses they're just almost fairy like they're just so incredibly beautiful and i'm never knew anything about the joseon period or the goyer period um i'm learning a whole lot and i appreciate so much that Lee does her podcast because I usually check on her pod what she thinks of the show before I watch it. And so I recognize a lot of nuances that I normally probably would have missed had I not listened to her first and then watched the show. In addition to getting ideas of shows to watch, it's sort of hard when all you see is a picture and, you know, you have to make a decision from that. But she did turn me on to Rakatoon Vicky, I think I'm saying that right. And I've just been thrilled to be able to watch K-dramas to my heart's content and not have to worry about if they're going to release it, where is it being released. I'm pretty much finding everything I need right there. So um, if you've come to K-Drama or are just beginning, welcome. It's a very 
exciting and interesting journey. And I really appreciate all that Lee does because otherwise I, I wouldn't have the nerve to even share this with anybody else. So carry on, keep fighting, and uh, keep watching K-Drama. Hi again, everyone. This is Lee Evie interjecting into the show again. Uh, I just wanted to let everyone know that the next person doing a guest gab is Catherine. Uh, she actually forgot to say her name in the recording. So I thought I would let everyone know that it is Catherine who is about to speak. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you again for asking uh, all of us to, uh, I was going to say write in, but I guess call in uh, with our favorite characters. <laughs> okay, uh, this is a hard one, um, but I feel pretty good about saying that a character I really, really love is uh, the character of Oh Yoon Soo, who is the female lead in Touch Your Heart, which uh, was, I think it aired in 2019. Um, the actress who plays her is Yu Ina, who a lot of people know from Goblin. Um, there's just so much to love about her, but, um, I think I, I relate to her because she is also an actress. Um, and something that I really appreciated about her character was the fact that she, she tries so hard. And as you learn, as the show goes on, things have the the fact that her career is in decline is not entirely her fault um and she just she's so strong in the way that she keeps on trying and is willing to do anything but like holds on to her integrity um there's a really wonderful scene i think it's like in episode 3 or something where she realizes that everyone is underestimating her and she's talking to her assistant and she just says, I am going to become the best actress. And she really commits herself to not just being pretty, but really being able to like play her part well and do what it takes to get this role. Even though she's like had a really big moment, she's been a big celebrity, but she's all, now that that's over, she's willing to put in the work to come back, not just to complain about it. Um, also, I just thought that her uh, chemistry with Lee Dong-wook, uh, who plays, like, the lawyer. Um, yeah, so anyway, I just... Their chemistry is great. She is just... She's such a fun, funny person who also is just a diva, but really lovable. Like, I think it's not easy for a character who is such a diva to be so endearing um and likable and i think it's rooted in the fact that she takes a lot of yeah she just takes a lot of um like pride in her work and she takes it very seriously she takes herself seriously um so anyway yeah the character that i love is yu ina well sorry that the character i love is oh yun su played by you and I in Touch Your Heart. If you want a show that is just like nothing but cotton candy fluff, I highly recommend it. It's just so fun. Um, and she's a great, great character. Okay, bye.
is Estella, and I'm going to talk about the show The King Eternal Monarch, and my favorite person in that show, who is Admiral Yi Sun Shin. So he was a real person who lived in the Joseon era, and he wasn't actually a character in the show. But he's ever-present throughout the series, and he's shown or mentioned 54 times. Yes, I counted. Oh, and I wanted to give an extra swear warning. I swear way more than Lee Evie. Um, I come from a long line of Navy men, so maybe it's in my blood. Kind of funny since I'm discussing a Navy man here. But anyway, Eternal Monarch is one of my favorite shows because it has so many layers and they're full of hidden meanings and visual references and so many Easter eggs. And the more you understand about certain topics, the more rewarding it is to watch. It's like crack for my nerd brain. So that show set me diving down so many rabbit holes of research. I learned about the mathematical reasons behind the writing of the book Alice in Wonderland, about quantum entanglement and cosmological constants, the branching shapes created by lightning, and, and more. And every time I learned something new, I was rewarded with another Easter egg. So there won't be any spoilers about the show, but I'll mention some scenes from episode six. And you obviously love K-dramas since you're here. Uh, so knowing a bit about Yi Sun Chin means you'll pick up the many references and jokes about him in all sorts of K-dramas. Uh, when characters say stuff like, maybe I saved the country in my previous life, they're referring to someone like Admiral Yi, who actually saved his country. But mostly he comes up in sarcastic insults like, oh, you're going to pilot a boat? Are you Admiral Yi now? That was from an actual K-drama. I just can't remember which one. Okay, so the only problem here is that there's so much to talk about when it comes to Admiral Yi, especially since his life really was like a crazy K-drama. So uh, this won't be that quick. Apologies in advance. Um, and just for context, I'm not usually interested in military history. Um, well, unless you count carefully studying Wu Dohuan in My Country, the New Age. <laughs> but I am an archer, and I've always wished I could learn sword fighting, knife throwing. Um, and yes, all my sports involve weaponry for some reason. So now that we've established what a weirdo I am, let's move on to fangirling for Admiral Yi. Okay, so the, the show Eternal Monarch takes place in the South Korea that we know, and in an alternate universe where there is a kingdom of Korea. And they have a constitutional monarchy, a healthier economy, and a much higher standard of living, and where they never had to split into North and South. So I'm going to refer to that one as the kingdom, so it doesn't get confusing. And the vast majority of the show's references to Admiral Yi take place in that parallel kingdom, um, because he had a much bigger influence on their politics than in real Korea. So the show's basic premise rests on the notion that the ideas and actions of one person can become pivot points with the potential to change the course of a nation's history for better or for worse. And the kingdom did better because they learned from those key people and reformed the government to improve the lives of all their citizens. But that's not quite how things happen in our Korea. So first we're going to dive into some real-life history so you can see how Admiral Yi influences the plot and its lead character, King Lee Gon. And Lee Gon is played by Mr. Lee Min-ho, a.k.a. the King of Sweaters and Pretty Ponies. So back in our Korea, the government didn't really learn any lessons from Admiral Yi or the bad choices that a couple kings made around that time period. So the country went down a path that ultimately led to war and colonization and division. But we learned that in the kingdom, their history branched away from ours with the actions of King Injong, who was a complete and utter asshat, I gotta tell you. This guy murdered his own son, Prince Sohyung, 
thereby proving that he was as mad as a bag of ferrets and twice as mean. And Prince Sohan's tragic story shows up in all sorts of historical dramas, by the way, like The Grand Prince, starring the lovely Yoon Shi-Yoon. Love him. But I'm with Lee Evie on this one. The bad facial hair they glued on him is so distracting, and it looks so itchy. But back to real life. Prince Sohyun really could have been a major pivot point in Joseon's history if he had become king. He was brilliant, free-thinking. He was a worldly sort of guy who truly loved his country. And he was good at maintaining relationships with other countries. If he'd become king, he would have made some big changes and history would have played out very differently. Which is exactly what happened in the kingdom in Eternal Monarch. But in our Korea, the craptastic King Injong quickly led to the mostly craptastic King Sanjo, who was on the throne throughout Admiral Yi's military career, and who made his life hell. Um, Sanjo started out okay, but he filled his court with scheming wankers, and his reign just quickly devolved into a hot mess that, according to the experts, uh, set the stage for the downfall of Joseon, allowing enemies in from all sides, and kicking off decades of misery and uh, death, and eventually leading to the Korean War and the division into North and South. And one highlight of his crap legacy is that he and his court ran away when the Japanese armies invaded the peninsula, deserting the capital and leaving the citizens with no protection whatsoever. They didn't really appreciate this, so they looted the palace and set everything on fire. Yeah. All right, so... All this epic fail is what is going on when Yi Sun Shin joins the military. He has no experience, but he was a rock star right out the gate, so it wasn't long before he was in charge of the Korean Navy. Uh, but oops, it didn't really exist as a thing at that point, because they'd had 150 years of peace. But Yi was crafty and creative and determined, and he just built his own navy from scratch and learned the job as he did it. This turned out to be one of his superpowers, by the way, and he used it throughout his life. Yi is super famous for his hardcore redesign of an old type of warship called turtle ships because they were covered with these hexagonal iron plates on top, and it looked like the shell of a turtle. But these ships were made entirely of wind, I swear. They had sails, yes, so they could get out to someplace easily, but those were dropped in battle. A giant drum would start to beat and 80 oarsmen below decks would row like mad so the ship could speed up, pivot, or stop on a dime. It was really impressive. The Japanese ships were huge and hard to maneuver, so this was absolutely kryptonite for them. Actually, Admiral Yi was just kryptonite for the whole Navy of Japan. But Yi put huge spikes on the, the turtle ship roofs. He hid them with straw mats, and so when the enemy jumped on board, yeah, they had a nasty surprise. There was a huge dragon head at the front of the ship that could be used as a long-distance flamethrower to set ships on fire or just scare the crap out of people for fun. There was a huge cannon inside the dragon's mouth, and it could spew out these big clouds of sulfur smoke, um, hiding their movements and making everything smell like dragon farts, I assume. Um, they were built to be extra sturdy, so they could just ram into the sides of these huge Japanese, Japanese warships and reversing out and then leaving these big holes that would sink the boats in a flash. And they were loaded with firepower, with all these different types of cannon on all different sides, and they had holes in the upper deck with 45 archers and riflemen who were just like shooting like mad. And I like to think of them as turtle ships of death. I wish I could do like a, a metal voice, but I, I just, I don't have it. 
Anyway, so it's it's no wonder that the Japanese soldiers were terrified of Admiral Yi, and they were sometimes even jumping overboard when they saw him coming. True story. So hopefully by now you've looked up some pictures of these turtle ships, so you totally see what I mean here. Um, at this point, you may be wondering when we're getting to the K-drama side of things, and but this is all relevant, I promise. So Yi waged a series of campaigns. Some were designed to take out the enemy's ships and troops. Uh, but since he was horribly outnumbered, um, he just worked really hard to demoralize and terrorize the Japanese troops, and he was really good at it. He treated his soldiers with respect, and even though he was born a noble, he really loved the regular folks, and they loved him back. And they risked, his lo risked their lives all the time to give him intel about where the Japanese ships were hiding. In fact, um, when Yi's resources were at their lowest and his soldiers were starving, he had been feeding them with his own money because the government wouldn't give him more money. Um, he moved his base to an island um, just off the coast of southern Korea, and he invited tons of regular citizens to move there for protection. And in exchange, they grew crops and cooked food and washed and sewed uniforms, built ships, made weapons, and all sorts of things. They even had a weapons research and development team, and they were the first in Joseon to uh, reverse engineer guns and start mass producing them. Um, so yeah, Yi was crushing it, uh, but never lasts, does it? Everything went to shit when a jealous rival threw him under the bus because he wanted Yi's job. So this idiot, Wan Gyun, he fell hook, line, and sinker for a plot set up by a Japanese double agent. Uh, the plot had been created specifically to get rid of Admiral Yi, uh, but Yi was all like, uh, no, I'm not going to send my entire fleet to that spot because it's full of rocks and hot death and any idiot can tell that it's a trap. Well, Wan Gyun fell for it. All in the Kool-Aid, don't know the flavor, as my old neighbor used to say. So uh, Wan Gyun is convincing the king that Yi is a traitor, framing him for desertion. So Yi is stripped of his rank, tortured in a bunch of ways till he almost died. And it was just like you see in those historical dramas, but worse because it was real. And it was happening to a hero who just really wanted to protect Joseon. I mean, come on, man. So the king wanted to execute Yi, and that's what he was going to do. Um, but the one friend Yi had at court lobbied on his behalf, and the king finally agreed to just demote him down to the very lowest position of foot soldier uh, in the military. So Yi was forced to start all over again. And sidebar about that Wan Gyun guy, after this colossal fuckwit <laughs> succeeded in framing Yi and becoming commander of the navy, he refused to believe um, more solid intel about this big Japanese attack, and he proceeded to make a series of disastrous decisions that ended with almost all of Yi's beautiful warships being destroyed and, all, and most of his newly trained soldiers being massacred. Only 13 ships remained. Only 200 soldiers survived out of thousands. Those poor fuckers. So when word of this got to Yi, I bet he just like smashed a bunch of shit and then sobbed for a good long while. You know, I think most of us would have done that. And uh, if you have a vindictive streak like I do, you'll find a certain grim happiness in the fact that Wan Gyun died right after that uh, when um, he tried to hide from the Japanese. But they found him and made sure he got dead. I'm surprised his name isn't used as an insult in K-dramas or in Korea today. Like, that asshole just Wan Gyun'd me out of a promotion. Like, it would totally work. Anyway, so... Yi was back to being a foot soldier, but he quickly moved up the ranks again because he's Yi Sun Shin, and he was willing to just put in the work. And it didn't take the government too long 
after the Wan Gyun mess to realize that they needed Yi back in charge. So he jumped back in, not even bitter, and did his best to make things work with the scraps he had left. It must have been so demoralizing, but anyway, he was, he was just hella scrappy. Um, he was always making something out of nothing. He was, he was like the, the MacGyver of Joseon, really, like saving the country with a sock, a paperclip, and some duct tape. Yeah, that's totally who he was. But you get the idea. Every time uh, Yi's popularity, popularity started making some powerful people feel insecure, they fucked up his shit again and again. It just, he was persecuted for so long. But despite all that, Admiral Yi just proved over and over again that <laughs> that he was just like better than the rest of them. You know, there's just, there's nobody like Admiral Yi. Yes, I, I truly am a fangirl, as you can tell. Um, and he was just the most OG baller of naval warfare worldwide. And it's still true. Like nobody else even comes close to his rep record of epic wins, his crazy way of keeping his soldiers and his ships safe, um, his willingness to rush into battle first to give his troops courage, and on and on. And for those who like stats, he fought 23 naval battles and won every single one. I'm sure Lord Nelson was talented, but that guy only won eight of his 13 battles, and he lost tons of ships, tons of soldiers. And he was well-funded, well-trained, and well-supported by the biggest navy in the world at the time, so it's pretty much the opposite of Admiral Yi's situation. And in Yi's most famous battle, he had to get extra crafty because the Japanese had over 330 ships, and he had just 13, remember, because of guess who? Yeah, one gun. He found this narrow channel where the current switched direction every three hours, forming huge whirlpools. He was doing this before um, the ships got there because he knew they were on their way. And he had his ships lurk right out front of those giant whirlpools. And, and the Japanese got there and his guys were taking a beating till the tides were just about to turn. Then they turn around and pretended to run away in defeat really fast. So of course the Japanese gleefully pursued them right into the danger zone where the currents were changing direction. And the Japanese were all like, holy shit, what the fuck is happening? And their huge warships began slamming into each other and breaking apart and People were dying and falling overboard. Uh, and Yi lost none of his ships that day. He had no casualties, but he made sure to destroy 31 of the enemy's ships in one fell swoop. And if you like the sound of that battle, by the way, you should find the movie Roaring Currents. Um, it focuses on this battle, and it, it stars Choi Min-shik from Old Boy. Uh, and it's, it's crazy good. It was on Amazon Prime, but disappeared, and... Uh, you might want to check your local library, because I just noticed mine has it. But anyway, so even now, it's been hundreds of years, but Admiral Yi is still revered as a hero of legendary status. Not just in Korea, but in China, Japan, um, and, and in other countries where people are paying attention and, and not being like total racists, only looking at like Western history. People get tattoos of him, and he's in video games. I mean, even his death was epic. He was in the middle of the action of his biggest battle, standing up on the top deck, and he was beating the huge war drum, like, the, you know, keeps his guys high energy. He was shot in those final moments of the battle, but nobody even knew he'd been hit, um, except his son, who was, like, right up next to him. So he has his son put on his helmet and armor, and he commands him to tell no one and to keep beating the battle drum. Like, 
just he's a total action action hero right i mean the script just writes itself so his legacy lived on long after his death and 200 of his direct descendants served in the military a bunch of them became resistance fighters and they are the best man if you know what i'm talking about or if you don't know what i'm talking about you should watch chicago typewriter or mr sunshine or, or a bunch of other k-dramas and movies about it Korean independence fighters messing with your shit till you get the fuck out. Established 325 AD, not available in all areas. Okay, sorry. Thank you for putting up with my sense of humor. It's not to everyone's taste. But back to Eternal Monarch. So in that series, the scenes that reveal the most about King Ligon's true character are when we see him embodying Admiral Yi's spirit, his philosophy, his courage, and his refusal to take the easy way out to hide to let other people fight his battles for him. And that extends to the kingdom's entire government and the, the more enlightened way that the country does things, prioritizing the general populace over the wealthy class. So episode six is where Yi has the strongest presence. Um, I watched it again last night out of curiosity, and it was amazing to see just how many of the scenes were obviously designed to demonstrate that King Ligon does things the way Admiral Yi did back then. Um, like when Kim Go-un's character, um, I can't remember her character's name, but you remember her from Goblin? Uh, she says goodbye to Lee Go-un after, just after he's donned his naval commander uniform and he's about to get on the helicopter. And she stares at the, sorry, he's not out by the helicopter. She's indoors and he's just changed in his, you know, in his rooms. And she stares at the medals on his chest and then she looks past him to these Joseon-style king's robes, you know, the red with the gold dragons on them and whatnot that are hanging behind him. And the next shot is her out in the plaza staring at the huge brass statue of Admiral Yi that rises up over the palace. And so, you know, we're being told that in this kingdom, the best of Joseon and Admiral Yi still live on and they're embodied in King Lee Gon. And then things heat up in the show. So Japan sends a naval fleet into the kingdom's waters without warning and everyone freaks the hell out. But hey, their capital is located in Busan, not Seoul, because they believe the monarchy should act as the first line of defense if Japan invades. Very Admiral Yi. So with one short helicopter ride, the king can be out with his fleet ready to fight. So all Ligon's ministers say it's not safe to go out there, but he's like, Ugh, do you even know how to warfare? Well, I do. So get out of the way, fool. And he lands on the destroyer um, after the helicopter ride. And he's in the center of the action. And oh yeah, that destroyer is called the Yi Sun Shin. So the king plants himself on the deck right up in front of the bridge where he's visible to his entire fleet and to the Japanese Navy. And he has them run up the king's flag so they can really see that he's there. And he's like, I shall not be moved. And if you saw the series, um, I would encourage you to watch it again, or at least episode six, now that you know all this great stuff about Admiral Yi, because it's much more interesting. Like, when the seas get rough, and they go and says, let's take advantage of the changing sea conditions to fuck up their shit. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You'll know it's all about that crazy battle in the whirlpools of death. And when he says, what you must protect today is not me, but the sea. You'll know it's all about Admiral Yi and his, like, fighting spirit, you know, trying to defend Korea, right? Anyway, so the Japanese guys get all chuffed seeing the king's flag and they think they've got the upper hand and the whole world is going to get to see the king running away like a coward. But as usual, Japan has underestimated Korea. 
Leon is all like, full speed ahead, bitches, and oh yeah, fire some warning shots over their bow and lock a bunch of missiles on them too. So the Japanese commander, yeah, he starts to panic, realizing just how badly the big bosses have miscalculated. And since he prefers not being dead, he tells everyone to get the fuck out of there. And that's the end of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm realizing as I'm jabbering on here that this is sounding more and more like an episode of Drunk History, but that's, that's a good thing, I think. Anyway, you can probably tell from my voice that yeah, I really love this whole battle scene in Eternal Monarch. And maybe it's because of all those naval ancestors of mine kicking up some some sort of, uh, you know, happy cheers or something. But I know I wouldn't have loved it nearly as much and it wouldn't have meant as much um, if I hadn't learned about Admiral Yi beforehand because I was already kind of obsessed with him once I learned just even a tiny bit of his story. It didn't even seem real. Knowledge is power, people. So if you found any of this um, interesting, well, in the story of Admiral Yi, I mean, then you've got to watch this little series of short animated videos on YouTube. They're by Extra Credits, or just Extra Credit, I think it's called. They're hella funny. They're really well-researched. They'll give you a true sense of just how insanely epic Yi's life was and what kind of odds he was up against. Um, like when he went to take the military exam and was riding a horse, and the horse tripped, fell, pitched off Yi. He broke his leg. What does he do? Drags himself over to a willow tree, breaks off some branches, splints his leg, gets back on the damn horse. Crazy, right? So if you want information like that, you should definitely watch the Admiral Yi series by Extra Credit. And no, I'm not shilling for them. I just love that series and it's such a good introduction. Um, so it'll totally blow your mind, I promise. Um, oh, and if you want a good laugh, watch or rewatch. Um, this the K-drama Legend of the Blue Sea after you've watched Eternal Monarch. Doesn't have to be right after, just afterwards. I just rewatched it and seeing Jun Ji-hyun tackling and manhandling the very kingly Lee Min-ho is fucking hilarious. Like somehow after you've seen him as this dignified king and then you watch him in this other show and it's, it's, it's just much funnier. And maybe it's just me. I don't know. Okay, y'all have been very patient with me and my... Um, Asperger's uh, interests. I know what uh, it can be tiring sometimes, and I but tried to talk very fast so that I didn't take up too much of your time. But I will shut up now and uh, get the hell out. So, gotcha! Okay, so this is Lee Evie back here at the end of this guest gabble episode, and I'm actually here with my lovely special guest, G, who has no idea why he's here. Yes, it's a big mystery. <laughs> he has no idea I'm what's very, going on. I'm very frightened. Well, there's no need to be frightened. Okay. Um, so this is just part of a guest gabble. Okay. And so I have a question for you that I want you to answer, which everyone else has already answered. Oh, in, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Previously above in the episode okay all right so my question for you is what is your yeah one or a favorite k-drama character tell me about it character yeah tell me about a favorite k-drama character of yours oh okay um <laughs> i guess all right i guess if i had to pick a favorite character mm -hmm. and this isn't me being biased but it has to be Hyunsu from Flower of Evil, played by Lee Jung Ki, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, because he's basically just an, like a, a, an evil slash not evil genius. Like he's a 
genius who does things that are kind of seem evil but really they're not evil but he's like he has that kind of like cool calm calculated thing of an evil genius also he's really good at fighting he's really good at like pretty much everything he does he's he can make watches he can hang off a fix building. watches he can, he can hang off a building um be he a can, good dad he, he fights pretty well yeah, too he does. um you know he once stabbed a guy in the leg with a piece of glass mm. with some tape around it he so gets that was kidnapped pretty, pretty well too he gets kidnapped like he's probably so one good. of the best kidnap kidnap bees i've ever seen <laughs> so um yeah i guess if i had to pick a character that would be him i can't even remember what the other characters are that we watched oh i think that that's a very good answer is that a good character yeah it's a okay. great character thank so, you for your insights cool um what is this <laughs> <laughs> this is the end of my guest gabble oh okay cool i've asked everyone else the same question ah, and now okay. you've been dragged onto the show to be asked well there you go as well. um also my favorite other character that he plays uh, you don't keep plays is that guy who's in that Resident Evil movie, isn't he? In Resident <laughs> Evil? And he like has not a zero guy. lines, oh. and he can do all this martial arts like in real life. But the and shaky cams, they literally shaky, show the worst it. shot of him doing it, and then he gets killed. And it's like it's my favorite just because it's like good on you, you got this big role. But then I'm also like, why did you squander all that talent? And like, and considering the things they show <laughs> in that movie, which is pretty bad, like they could have just held a camera on him for about. A good solid three minutes, and that would have been better. The than best part of most the movie, of the movie, I'd say. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and that is coming from someone who actually likes Resident Evil movies. Yeah. Well, the first one. The first I one. I like the first one a lot. First one's good. Go watch it if you haven't watched it. Would have been better if Ejon Key had been in it. That's though. true. I actually agree with that. With like a full on non shaky cam on him for like 10 minutes of cool martial arts against zombies. Well, look, you haven't converted, oh you haven't made me a K drama addict, but you've definitely increased my appreciation of Ejon Key. Look, yeah. I take what I can get. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm pretty happy. Also, I feel quite, I don't know, chuffed, proud of myself that when I asked you for a favorite K-drama character, you had such a cool and thoughtful answer. Oh, okay. Oh. I feel like this is progress. Oh I feel gosh. like you're almost a K-drama addict. Somebody step in and stop this before <laughs> all of my personality is erased and replaced no with one some will. sort of K-drama fanatic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what all the listeners are waiting for. Well, it's coming soon, I'm sure. K-drama G. Slowly chipping away at what's left of my <laughs> capacity to watch <laughs> things. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess that's it. Cool. Thanks for um, uh, inviting me onto this surprise segment. <laughs> no worries. It's a surprise to me, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no worries at all. Thanks for coming on. No problem. <laughs> Hello everybody, this is Lee Evie again at the very end of this Guest Gabble episode. Um, thank you so much for listening to all these wonderful, beautiful guests as they talked about their favourite characters. Um, I thought I would actually weigh in on this uh, topic this week. I don't know why I didn't on the first Guest Gabble episode, but I'm going to try to from now on because I think it's pretty fun. Uh, well, maybe it's just fun for me. I feel like I just say the same stuff over and over, but anyway, <laughs> I'm just going to do it. <laughs> so um, I was just thinking a little bit about you know what what is one of my favorite k-drama characters and there's so many like so many I think it's very very difficult for me to choose but at the same time um I think you know a lot of those very early dramas you watch or you know the first bunch of shows that you watch do kind of stick in your heart a lot 
And no matter the wonderful characters that I like come across now all the time when I'm watching shows, I feel like it's really hard for me to kind of get over some of those very special early ones. Um, so the character that I have picked is from an older show and a show that I've talked about so many times on this podcast that people are probably a bit bored of it. Um, but it's a historical drama called Tamara the Island. <laughs> I did have a whole episode. I've got two whole episodes on this bloody ridiculous, very silly show. But I think that the male lead, um, played by the actor Im Ju Hwan, um, so the character is called Park Hyu. Uh, Park Kyu, sorry, Park Kyu. Uh, and I I really love him. I think I think the thing that draws me back to this character all the time is he goes on such a kind of like emotional growth journey throughout that drama. And I think that's what I love so much is that and I feel like this is such a staple of K-dramas, you know, the whole thing about K-dramas is so often about the emotional journey that a character goes on and, and how different they are by the end of a drama to how we are first introduced to them. Um, and that's what I love about Parku as a character. I think he goes from this, you know, very prejudiced, arrogant and, you know, young nobleman at the beginning of the drama who by the end has this very different understanding of the world around him and his place in it and what he wants to do with his life. But I think the thing that I love the most, you know, aside from the romance and how, you know, falling in love with, you know, he's a noble man, he's a young bun, very high up noble guy and falling in love with, you know, a very lowly commoner woman is a huge like element, I guess, in Parku's transformation throughout the show. Um, but I think, I feel like it's just the way he relates with all the commoners, I think, you know, the, the more lowly people like um, the female lead Bojin's family and the villagers. And I think seeing him change through this kind of growing respect that he gains for these people that he has been taught his whole life through his upbringing and his education to literally not give a shit about, to feel like they're ants beneath his feet. And yet from living among these people, he realizes that they are human beings and they have dreams and feelings and hopes and hardships. And I love seeing his sort of, his facade slowly crack. And I think what makes him a favorite character for me is that, you know, as he begins to see the truth of these people and their struggles, you know, he doesn't just hold on to his own ways just for the sake of it or because that's how he was brought up. You know, he really lets go of his prejudices. And I think that that's a very hard thing to do, like, you know, to admit that you are wrong and that you've been treating people badly and that you've, you know, not been acting very well. Like, I find that really admirable, I suppose, just to see that that growth and change in him. So yeah, <laughs> I've talked about it a lot, but I do feel that that journey for me is a favorite. And I do think that his character also sort of you know, goes through this huge, you know, it's a romance trope that I personally really adore, which is he suffers from, you know, unrequited love for um, quite a long time in the drama, but um, very happily, he does get a happy ending at the end of it. But, you know, that's just like total romance trope, personal taste for me. 
<laughs> so it suits me very much. So I think this character has a lot of ingredients that I really like. One of them being, you know, he is in a historical drama, <laughs> which is a really good starting point, again, to my personal taste. But anyway, um, I think he is and probably will forever be one of my favorite characters. So that is Park Park Yu, who is uh, the male lead in the very old and very strange little Korean historical drama called Tamra the Island. <laughs> 